Hello everyone, I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Peter Capelli. And probably for a lot of our listeners, you've heard the name before. Um, He really doesn't need much of an introduction. But I'm going to kind of buck tradition a little bit. And instead of reading through all of this man's accomplishments, which there's many, I wanted to share with you what some of his colleagues and friends are saying about Peter from response to the release of this new book. So let me start there. One of his uh, colleagues said, or friends said, I have my copy already. It's clearly written, timely, relevant, straightforward. Thanks for always being a driving force. Uh, Another commenter said, I look forward to getting my edition. Uh, Someone else said, I've read all of your other books, Peter, and I can't wait to read this one. These last two, I also love these. Given your continued commitment to innovative thinking, I am sure this book will do well. And then finally, and I loved this, and I'm going to share how it was visually represented, but somebody had put in all caps, essential reading. Oh, essential nice. reading. Yeah. So, so. Yeah, that was my mother. Oh, <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> but Peter, thank you so much for sending over that copy to us as well, The Future of the Office. You know, myself as a human resource professional, tons of colleagues in the same field, I am 100% sure that what you have penned in this book gives us in our field some much needed introspection, research, and possible implications of the future of office. So welcome, Peter Capelli. Welcome. Good. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And of course, as I mentioned, I had to read through these wonderful pages. It's such a timely topic for all of us. And and I got to the very end and I was trying to think, how am I going to open this podcast? What am I going to say up front? And I found this great quote that you uh, paraphrase here at the end of your book. And it is from Winston Churchill. And you mentioned, and no doubt others before, but you said, never let a good crisis go to waste because it allows one to do things that could not have been done otherwise. In this case, obviously, the pandemic has shaken us out of our office routines, which provides us an opportunity to change how we operate there. So powerful. Yeah, I think that's right. I, one of the things I worry about is that employers are not really thinking about that. I'm not sure how many of them are trying to figure out what are the lessons we should take away from operating during the pandemic and what do we want to do differently going forward? I don't know to what extent they're thinking about that and we we should be. Yeah, and you've done such a great job in your book. I know for me, you know, just the history going all the way back to telecommuting and you know, some great quotes about when that kind of launched and into hoteling and now hybrid. But that really brings me to my first question, you know, your ending thought there from your book, you know, the pandemic has shaken us out of our office routine. So I think a really great questioner for our listeners, especially so many that are in the HR profession, as employers are making these big decisions about the future of the office, can you help us or maybe spend some time really thinking about the pros and the cons? 
as you had just mentioned, of office environment versus the remote and starting really with that personal and professional relationships? What might be some of the pros and cons as we're thinking about making these decisions? Yeah, right. I think that is the way to think about this uh, first at the beginning is that it's not obvious what to do. And as we can see already, employers have very different views on what they are trying to do right now. You know, the West Coast tech employers are much more inclined to say, let's extend work from home and maybe do it permanently. The East Coast ones, particularly finance, are saying, forget it, you're all coming back to work, right? So um, that's the first point to note. And related to that is the survey evidence saying that not everybody wants to work remotely. McKinsey survey a month or so ago, or public opinion survey that they commissioned, 8% of employees want to work remote on a permanent basis. 37% wanted to come back to the office. And the remainder, which is a bare majority, want something in between, which is kind of what hybrid is about. But back to the question that you asked, um, you know, for the employers, the big issue is what's going to work for us. Many employees, but not all, want to work remotely. Most, but still only a bare majority, are really interested in more flexibility in the way they operate. But does that help you? If you're an employer, permanent remote could help in a straightforward way and that we're going to take your office away, right? That's the incentive. We cut our real estate footprint. Uh, and I just heard from a reporter that a local company in Philadelphia, the Rite Aid Pharmaceutical, has decided to go permanently remote for, I think, all its jobs, at least the headquarters jobs, right? Which I haven't heard many other employers do. Uh, but the reason is you cut your footprint, and that's great. Um, beyond that, it's we know that permanent remote work does not work well career-wise for the employees. So we've studied this since telecommuting began about 20 years ago. And the evidence there suggests that uh, the people who are working remotely don't get promoted as much. Their wage increases aren't as good. Their careers tend to stall. They're less engaged uh, with the organization. They're less committed to it. You know, it doesn't work particularly well for them. The hybrid model, which means we're neither all at home nor all back in the office, you know, the devil's in the details there. It's clear why employees would want it. For employers, it's it's not so clear why the employers would want it. And that's, you know, the way for employees to start employers to start thinking about this, you know, how is this going to help us? Because let's not kid ourselves, you know, employers have not been great at doing things just because employees like them, right? Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, and I saw a lot of this in your book when we think about, you know, what the employees and starting to think about what that personal and professional relationship to the employer looks like in the organization. But what you mentioned is folks that are working from home aren't getting promoted as much, or we've seen this, right? Their careers may stall, may be a perception or a reality, right? That they're less committed to their organization or to their role. And I also, there was um, something else in there about uh, during the pandemic, when we thought about those relationships, because that has been one of those big concerns coming out of working from home was around, were we able to just get through the pandemic because we've had this bank of relationships that we've already had going into the relationship, but going forward, now you've got all these people joining organizations and we're just starting off from home. What's your thought on that for the employee perspective and that relationship to other people, their coworkers, their colleagues? Yeah, no, that's a, a great point. I think we've been driving the discussion 
from the perspective of people who have been in companies or employers for a long time. You know, for me, I've been at the Wharton School for a very long time. I know most of the people there. I know more or less how things work. But if you've just been hired in, you know, you know nothing. And during the pandemic, you don't meet people who are going to explain to you how it's going to work. So, you know, one of the questions going forward, if you're going to have a lot of remote work, pretty soon you're going to start to have a big chunk of employees who never had that knowledge, didn't get the culture because you pick it up, you know, from people and from the the context of being in the workplace. It's we don't know whether you can have a good strong organization culture remotely or not. And if it's even possible, it's going to require a lot on the part of employers that we're not doing now. So, you know, it is a really big question as to whether this can really work going forward or not. And as you say, especially for new hires, because we haven't really thought about them much, because frankly, there weren't that many until just recently, and, and we started to rehire people. But the betting is, it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be great if you've got people hired in who have never been in the office. Yeah. And for our listeners, there's a section in Peter's book that does talk about onboarding. And I'm actually going to come back to that in a little bit. For those out there that are thinking about getting Peter's book, get it, because there is this whole section about integrating. And to your point, with this hybrid approach or work from home or everyone in the office, because it's going to look so different, what do we need to do? So I, I love that you Uh, dovetailed there at the end uh, talking about that. So my next question then really related to the same idea of as employers are making these big decisions about the future of the office, what do you think then about the level of productivity of our employees and what will that look like, whether it's the employers trying to kind of get under that and understand if we're going to do work from home, hybrid, everyone in the office, or, or even from the employee perspective, what do you think about productivity in those options? Yeah. And this, I think, is important for us to think carefully about because we don't have a good sense of how productivity went uh, during the pandemic. And one reason for that is we didn't have a good sense of what productivity was like before the pandemic. You know, uh, Not that many employers have systematic measures of performance, in part because they're just hard to get unless you're an individual contributor. So the few things we know about this systematically, um, the first is that for most organizations, some were booming, but most business and you know, needs were down. So it wasn't that hard to get everything done. Uh, and we also know that the economy was kind of awash in government funding and support, which made it easier for businesses to go ahead. So, you know, we don't have a great sense that the circumstances were similar to what we're going to see afterwards. To the extent that companies have tried to measure this, and at least what they have been public about, it's kind of a mixed story. So one of the things we kind of know is hours of work seem to have gone up for people. Now, some of that just makes up for commuting time. So that might not mean that your day was longer, uh, but people are working more hours and also more, especially into the evenings, especially people with children. There's not great evidence anywhere that I've seen that productivity per unit of work per hour has gone up. And the systematic evidence I've seen from some employers suggests that, you know, they got everything done, but it took more time, which suggests that hours of work are down. You know, where we're really concerned is about those 
types of work, which are not individual contributor roles. We know, you know, like if you're an outside salesperson, a lot of those people have effectively been remote for a very long time and being in the office might not matter that much for those people. Also for some IT people, if you look at the big tech companies like Google, half their workers are already independent contractors. It's for everything else. It's for project work. It's for administrative tasks, those sorts of things. And we just don't have a good idea. So I think assuming it's going to be fine because it was kind of fine during the pandemic is probably not that smart. As you were saying, there are also some reasons why things worked better during the pandemic, which will not continue. One of them is we were all pulling together because this was a crisis and it was kind of novel. A year and a half into this, it's not so novel anymore. And I'm starting to feel not so much like, you know, this is a crisis and we're all in this together. And especially if you're one of those employees at work who can't work from home and you're seeing, you know, other people in the organization who can, it's easy to start getting your nose out of joint about these things. And, you know, in human resources, we know these are not trivial issues, right? When people start to feel things are not fair, right? So, you know, the short answer is we don't know, but betting that it's not going quite as well as the stories is probably the safe way to bet. Yeah. So I had a a professor in grad school and her response sometimes to some of these types of questions would be, it depends. I feel like we're still in it. It depends here. And we've got some more paying attention to do as you are, you know, expressing through this book, the future of the office here, what will it look like? And probably a lot of research and paying attention to your point, you know, as we go forward from this point. So you mentioned this a little bit, and I want to come back to this because I know, especially for myself and gosh, many of my colleagues, that the quality of life as we think about uh, the future of the office And one of the words that I know came out of your book is that blurring, the blurring of my work into my home life. Now, to your point, you've mentioned we've had, you know, telecommuting started years ago. There was a a form of hoteling even that maybe had a little bit of a hybrid approach to it. So there have been folks out there that have been existing in this hybrid approach. But what have you found? You did so much research for this book, and it's a great compilation. What did you find or what do you understand about quality of life as we think about the future of the office? Yeah. And this, I think, you know, your story about it depends is, of course, always right. I always remember I had a a friend at uh, Bocconi University in Italy, and I asked her, what did she take away from her experience? And she said, well, it depends. And I said, depends on what? And she said, no, that's it. It depends. That's always the right answer, right? Um, And I think we have focused a lot on people who have children. And for them, this has been kind of a lifesaver, especially during the pandemic when schools were closed, right? They just couldn't have survived if they could not work from home you know, they had to be home for their kids, right? And so I think, you know, what we can say there is, you know, what's the comparison, right? So, you know, for people who are working from home with kids, uh, things seem to be better on lots of dimensions because you are available, right? And everybody with kids who has had them knows that, you know, crises are the big issue, right? Your kid's sick at school and everything is up in the air. Uh, If you're at home, you can more easily go get them than if you are commuting. However, this is the 
other trend we need to think carefully about, and that is that many employers are not trusting their employees to work from home. So the reason people report that quality of life is better, those who do, who are working from home, even though hours of work are up, is because they have control over their time. We've trusted them to get the work done. We don't care so much when it gets done, um, just get it done. And that means that even though I'm working longer hours, you know, I can stop and take a break and take the dog for a walk and answer the door and let my kids in and make sure they get started on their homework and that kind of stuff, right? The big push from many employers now has been to invest in tattleware, right? This is software that monitors what you're doing on your computer to make sure that you're at your desk and to make sure that you're working. Well, if I'm working from home and my employer has put tattleware on and I no longer have flexibility to stop and let my kids in and talk to them about their day and then come back and finish my work, et cetera. Then the advantage of being at home really starts to erode pretty quickly and then it's no fun, right? So I think the big issue is quality of work seems to be better uh, for people who are working from home. And part of that is because if you're choosing um, and you know you choose to work from home, you're not going to do it if you think it was worse for you. But it becomes worse pretty quickly if we go down this path of these monitoring software tools, right? Which will defeat what many people liked about working from home. And that is the ability to control your own time and the fact that there was this trust between you and the employer that things would get done. Yeah, I'm so curious about that tattleware and the monitoring of my everyday. I think it's such a true point. And again, you know, all of us, you know, myself, our tech producer on you, we probably all have stories of friends and family who were doing exactly what you were saying. Oh, my son, daughter, neighbor, kid, whomever is having a homework issue, I have to, or a Zoom issue, right? Everybody was on these virtual schools now and being able to take that moment and not feel that pressure that somebody's paying attention to what I'm doing every minute of the day and giving me that grace or that trust, like you've said, um, to get the work done and really stay focused. And totally, just to get that work done, doesn't matter where I am in between what hours, but as long as I'm getting it done. So then let me ask you this. Um, when we do think about these companies, and you reference so many great stories in your book, when we do think about these companies that are you know, thinking about those pros and cons, and, and what do we do as we enter back into this hybrid work environment for the first time, perhaps, as we begin this return to office, what do you think, and they may hit on some of these thoughts you've already had, but what would you say are the three top challenges that these companies are going to face as they start to think about this big question? Ooh, um, well, I guess I would say that uh, the biggest challenge is to figure out how it's going to work for us as an employer, if you're the employer, right? Uh, how is this going to help us? Uh, remote work, we understand that one, permanent remote, because we're going to save money by closing your office and taking that back, shrinking our real estate footprint. How does hybrid help us? And maybe you might say some of the things we hear are that you could hire more easily, maybe, uh, and that uh, employees like it more, maybe. Um, is that going to translate into enough outcome for you to make it worthwhile. Well, you know, the tech companies in Silicon Valley have said, here's how it's going to work for us. We're going to cut your pay. 
And frankly, they're virtually all saying that. It wasn't just Facebook, I think, was the first that made that push. And, you know, the CFOs can sort of understand that. But figuring out why it's going to work for us, making your employees happy might be really important. But can you handle the challenges, right? Like managing one group that's remote and one group that's in the office at the same time. Um, And the second related, I think, question, problem around that is, how are we going to deal with these fairness questions? And here's one the employee relations people should be perking up about. Let's say we got this option to work mainly remote, and the people who are going to take it are disproportionately people with kids, and within that group, disproportionately women. So we're going to have this class of people who are disproportionately women with kids, And what we know from previous research is that people in those positions don't do as well in terms of their careers, right? They don't get the same outcomes in terms of promotions and things. Okay. Can you say plaintiff lawyer? Uh, Because that does not look like a pretty picture for most employers, right? So I would say the second one is, can we sort of deal with these fairness issues uh, going forward? And Is there a third issue that's distinct enough from those? Let me just think for a minute. I think the, you know, the issue of the demands on management are important. Um, So I think we are supervisors in particular, right? We know that people who are working remotely need more help from supervisors to run interference, to pass along information, all that kind of stuff, right? And are we able to make that happen? Are we going to do something that will help the supervisors um, manage these two different groups? Because there's a chance that they can't do both at the same time and do them well. So we're going to need more support for supervisors. Are we thinking about that? So I think those are maybe the big three. Wonderful. Great. I think you've hit the nail on the head too, as like I said, as companies are really trying to come up with decisions around what the future of our office is going to look at. And some of what you're mentioning are probably things that we haven't really thought about yet. That question around fairness, I think is huge. And again, you referenced that in your book, you know, we often see that it's the people that are in the office that are getting those promotions. So if it is disproportionately the women with kids that tend to be home, are we now really uh, playing into that mode that we somewhat see today with the disparity between promotions in the workforce. So I mentioned this a little bit earlier, um, and I wanted to come back to it. And I even read in your book, I loved that you shared some of the really smart initiatives that even your employer, University of Pennsylvania, is doing for your how-to in preparing to return to the office, but can you share for our listeners, as we do think about that, as we do decide with our pros and cons and what our next steps are, what your thoughts or best practices are for preparing for that return to office? Well, first, as you were saying, um, you know, this is an opportunity in lots of ways uh, to do things differently. You know, the big problem in organization change is to shake people out of their current routines. Inertia is the problem in changing organizations. And the beautiful thing, as it were, about the current context is most people who've been working remotely are somewhat shaken out of their routines. And there are companies, I think I wrote in the book about Clorox as one of them, 
who have said, okay, we're going to seize this moment before we bring people back. We've already started to redesign the office, uh, our office locations at headquarters to try to make collaboration better. And uh, how might we do that? Well, reconfiguring offices, creating more space for this, et cetera. Uh, and so when people come back, uh, making that part of the pitch, you know, welcome back, and we're going to do things differently now. The building looks different. It feels different. We're going to, from the very beginning, try to do things differently. The problem is if you wait, you've lost the opportunity. If you bring people back and you say, you know, let's wait till everybody's back and then, you know, we will try to change the organization and, you know, we're going to think about redesigning the office and try to be more collaborative, et cetera. Once you're back, it doesn't take more than a couple of days. You're going to fall right back into the old routines. So it is something that if you're thinking, you know, we've always wanted to try to get people to be more, whatever, fill in the blank. The time to do it is before, think about that, before they're coming back, Tell them what's going on before they come so they can get their hands around it a little bit. And then from the minute they walk in the door, the change processes should be kind of underway, right? And if you delay, you know, you've lost that window altogether. You know, it makes me think of this term progress over perfection. You know, oftentimes organizations or people in general want to have perfection and so I feel like that is, you know, where we get lost and well, let's just wait until everybody gets back and then we'll fix it versus, hey, let's take the opportunity. Let's build on some progress as people are coming back and and make some changes and take advantage of the opportunity, as you were stating. So really great tips there. So we do have time for one more question, Peter, if you're up for that. Sure. Okay. You talked about this when you were talking about your challenges, but I think it's going to be tough for our leaders when we think about grappling with these changes to the future of the office. Any thoughts around what adjustments will need to be made if we think about, I guess, quote unquote, our management practices? Okay. So what has to be different about our management practices? Uh, and, you know, maybe another way to say that is what did we learn from the pandemic that we need to kind of adapt and continue on? And I would say the big one is that during the pandemic, enough companies did the following, and that was they required their supervisors to check in with employees individually each week. And, uh, you know, one of the funny results of at least some employee surveys is they reported that employees had better relations and liked their supervisors more during the pandemic than they liked them before the pandemic. And, you know, a cynic would say, well, I'm just not seeing them. So that's why I'm happier with them, you know. But I think they actually behave differently. So as a supervisor, you know, you might see your direct reports every day before the pandemic. But did you actually ever talk to them about work? I'd say in most offices, you don't see that a lot, right? They, they talk about gossip. They talk about sports or the weather or whatever. But are we having a focused conversation about how things are going with you? And these didn't take very long, you know, if you have six or seven direct reports. And, you know, a 10-minute check-in call with them is what a lot of this was about. It mattered a lot. And so that is something that's easy to continue. We've always wanted supervisors to do this. And 
you know, the efforts to reform performance appraisals that had been underway before the pandemic, it's all part of that. So that is the simplest thing to do, which I think will have the biggest impact. Yeah, check-ins. I was a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the term nudges, um, those reminders for our leaders. Hey, don't forget to check in you know, with your workforce. So it kind of plays right into that simple way for us to check in and in a way for us to really understand what's going on with our direct reports or our workforce. Well, hey, Peter, thank you. We are, we're getting ready to close up here. So I do always like to throw out to you, is there anything else you'd like to add maybe during our conversation that kind of struck you that you want to leave our listeners with any final thoughts? Well, I think on this one in particular, this is a big change and that going forward with work from home is going to be very different than simply continuing what we had done before. It's a really different story to have everybody working from home because the company requires it as opposed to you choosing, right? So let's think carefully about this as we jump into it rather than just assuming it's going to play out. I love that. Think carefully, a good phrase for us going forward. Well, of course, I was snooping around on Peter and what all he's done and reading a little bit more about his book. And I had found this quote at some point as he was talking about the book and and just saying, you know, as we're entering this new work world, we all have questions and um, around safety, around these hybrid models, around one of the topics we t- thought of was productivity. And you mentioned, I try to provide the answers and give everyone a vision of their futures. And you really did in this book. I loved all of your research that you shared. Um, as each company that you talked about, even in our short time here in the interview, I'm like, oh, yep, I remember reading about that one. I remember reading about that one. And there's just so many great tactical uh, stories in there that I think we can relate to as readers and as listeners. So thank you so much for laying that out for us in a simple way so that we're not having to spend the time doing that ourselves. We really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks to the Nine to Thrive listeners. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For Nine to Thrive and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in. Make it a great day.